0: All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Uh, welcome to Chinese Church Christ in Wow. Good start, huh? Chinese Church in Christ South Valley. That's the name of our church. Um, let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll start with a story. Dear Lord, um, I just pray, Father, that by the power of Your Spirit, You would be revising our image of who You are. That we would make uh, so much. Out of the truth that uh, because of your cross, because of your son, uh, you reconcile us to you, you seek us out in any type of lostness we experience, that you might be our father and love us. And so I pray, Father, you would speak to us uh, and reveal yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's a story for you there is a man who had two sons. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Uh, this is God's word. One of the most important things. Uh, this is something that I feel. I, I feel really important. Is really important. And um, if you notice, there like this is almost like a hobby horse of mine. As a preacher, you're never supposed to preach your hobby horses, but um, there's something. This passage is uh, one of the most important passages to me. It's, it's very well known. Um, but what I think a lot of people miss when they come to this passage is they end the passage where I did. If you notice, Jesus is telling a sequence of three parables, and In the first two parables, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there are two different pictures that Jesus uses to reveal a truth about God's heart. In the first parable, there is a sheep that gets lost. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep, his flock of 99 in the field, and goes after that one lost sheep. And then there's celebration when he finds the sheep. And then Jesus says, in the same way, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes to repentance. And then in the second story, there's a woman who's looking for a lost coin. This lost coin is worth 10% of her net worth. It's a big deal, it's a big deal. And so she, she drops everything she's doing, she lights the lamps in the house, and she starts sweeping every single corner of her house to find that lost coin, and then eventually she finds it. It was in a refrigerator. No, just kidding. Um, it it was in it was in the corner somewhere, and she finds it, and then she rejoices. And Jesus says, in the same way, the angels will rejoice in heaven over one lost sinner who comes to repentance. And then Jesus tells this last story, where there is a son, or is there? There are two sons, and this son leaves home. Uh, he disrespects his father, so he basically spits in his father's face and says, "Patui, I wish I, I, I wish you were dead, so I can get all of the money that's coming to me." Right, and then he goes to a foreign country where he doesn't know anyone, and he uses up all of his money. And he is at the very low point of his life, and he is working on a farm with pigs. As a Jewish man, this would have been extremely, extremely shameful because pigs were seen as unclean. He was really, really hungry because there was a famine. And he thinks to himself, my father's servants, because his father is very wealthy, his father has this big estate. You know, he has lots of servants. He has lots of livestock. He's a well-off guy. My servants eat a million times better than I do in this position. And so I'm going to swallow my pride And go back to my father. And he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Will you take me back as a servant? But then this incredible thing happens where on the way back, his father sees him and he responds in the most surprising way the son could have imagined rather than, "Okay, if you were a parent and your child did something like this. So the woman lost a coin like 10 percent of 10 percent of your net worth. This son would have received a third of the net worth of the father. The older son receives two thirds. The younger son receives one third. And so he squandered one third of his father's fortune. If you were the father and your son did that, like, what, like what did he do? He bet it all on Dogecoin, or like, I don't know, like whatever it is, whatever it is. He, he squandered one third of it. How would you respond to him if he came home asking for forgiveness? What's the first thing you do? would do? What do you think? Say it. Go ahead. I'm really curious. How would you respond as a parent? Now, here's another question. The way you said you would respond, uh, you probably said like you had something really nice and loving. Like, oh, of course I would forgive them. But how would you feel about what they did? How would you feel? And I'm actually asking the kids, too. So, if number one, if you were a parent, how would you respond? Number two, if you were the one who did that, how would your parents respond, do you think? It's really interesting, right? Would you be scared to go home? You'd probably be scared to go home. Uh, you would be really terrified that they would scold you, that they were disappointed, that they wouldn't love you, They're like, you know, they would disown you, whatever it might be. And... The incredible thing about this story is this man responds in a way that no one would expect. Um, one thing we also miss when we come to the story is the different kind of roles and authority, the way that they viewed the family. So the father is like the king. The father is the patriarch. And so for him to disrespect his father in this way, everyone would have known about it. He would have brought great shame to his father. And so his father, like, it, it, it would have been terrible. And yet the father responds with this compassion and grace and everyone is when they hear this story uh the punchline that everyone thinks of this story is that's the way god is right and we can breathe this deep sigh of relief it's like yes god is that forgiving and that merciful but the story doesn't end there and this is where if you notice the sequence of parables in all three stories um in the first two stories there's one thing that's lost and then it's found. The second story, one thing that's lost, and then there's something that's found. In this story, there are two different sons. And so Jesus is such a brilliant storyteller, where he's saying, I want want to reveal to you, and this is one of the main points, that lostness is not what you think it is, okay? Lostness is not what you think it is. And so when we picture lostness, So this is almost like a loaded religious word. You know, like you sing Amazing Grace and you say like, I once was lost and now was found, was blind and then I see. When we sing that song or when you hear those lyrics and you think about lostness, what do you picture? You picture the younger son. You picture people who don't have it together. And so a lot of people will go to like some examples like you know, some kind of addiction where your addiction destroys your life and then you're you're homeless or like these really dramatic examples of lostness. But that's not where the story ends. And in fact, that's probably one of the main points of the first two parables. But the point of this third parable is actually going somewhere very, very different. So let me read to you about another type of lostness. When we think of lostness, we typically think of someone who is Ungodly, you know, like they're irreligious, you know, they don't go to church, they party on the week, whatever it might be. And what's really interesting and really sad is what church people need to hear is that God responds to different types of lostness in the same way, and lostness is actually more complicated than you think. Um, we need to hear about not just the first brother, but but about the second brother and understand his lostness. So let me finish the story, okay? I only read half of the story. And in a sense, I have not read the punchline yet. I've not read the point that has the most force on his audience yet. So this is verse 25. So this is from Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Yeah, mic drop, right? <laughs> mic drop. He refused to go in. Blah, 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 blah. Um His uh, his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What's going on? Jesus is flipping our understanding of lostness on on its head. Jesus is intentionally using an example that would have confronted his audience, the Pharisees and the scribes. So Jesus is not just confronting irreligious people. He's not confronting the sinners, the party people, all of that. He's actually saying there is another type of lostness. And in general, if you're showing up to a church on Sunday, this probably is speaking to you, to your type of lostness. Our world divides people into like. The liberal people and the conservative people, where you can think about, you know, liberal people are ethically, you know, loose or whatever. This is how many people see it. Uh, Liberal people say, and things have kind of changed to some degree, but liberal people will often say, um, do no harm, right? You are free to make whatever decisions with your life and to define morality as you see fit, as long as you don't hurt other people. And then when you think of conservative people who are conservative, ethically, morally, Um, You think these are people who say there are rules you have to follow. This thing is bad. This thing is good. Everything is black and white. And what's really interesting is in this story, Jesus is saying that you can just as easily be lost when you are far away from God and you run away from him and you do what you want. Um, You can be lost in that way. You can just as easily be lost if you show up to church every single Sunday, if you on the outside, obey everything that the Bible says, um, and yet you are far from God. Do you see <laughs> what's going on, Grace? <laughs> She's just like dropping stuff all in us. <laughs> it's fun. Um, this is really, this is really important to me uh, because this is something that causes tremendous damage within uh, people's conception of what Christianity is. Uh, when lost younger brothers go off. And, you know, they're, they're at, the, they're at their, um, their very low point in their lives. And then they have a come to Jesus moment and they repent of their sin and they're turn, they turn around. Uh, they think that the opposite of being lost in that way is to become an obedient child where you do everything that the church says. You never make any mistakes. You get your life together and you work hard to be a good citizen. But Jesus says that's not it. That's not it. There is actually another type of lostness. And it's very possible to go from one type of lostness to the other, where you go from disobeying all the rules to keeping all the rules. If you look at the younger son, he goes off to a foreign country. The older son, he stays at home the whole time. And what do we see about him? What can we glean from this story? The older brother, it says right here, he says... um, Look at verse 20 29. Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. This is pretty crazy, right? This is like a model child. This is like the this is like the superstar of the Chinese church. They like go to they go to church every Sunday. They know all the Sunday school answers. Uh, they go to like, they go to like an Ivy league school and then after they get a great job in tech or whatever it might be. And then they come home and they stay at their parents' church. You know, they're, it's like the superstar, you know, Chinese church kid. Um, but they do everything. They do everything on the outside. But do you notice what the heart of the older brother is for the father? Two types of lostness. What do they have in common? the younger brother and the older brother? What causes the younger brother to go off and leave the home? And then what causes the older brother to stay at home and do everything that his father says? It's the same thing, which is a view of the father and a certain view of God, which is deficient. It's wrong. It's completely wrong. What do they have in common? What's their relationship with their father? We can, when we look at it really closely, what can we see? Let's look at the younger brother. The younger brother is is very disrespectful and offensive to the father. He says, "I wish you would die so I could get your stuff." That expresses his anger, that expresses some kind of dysfunction, right? Where there's something broken about their relationship, where either the the brother doesn't the son doesn't care about the father and he just wants money. He wants to use the father to get what he wants or per, perhaps he feels like the father is, you know, con, like repressive or like, you know, he's not letting him do what he wants and have a good time, right? That's his view of the father. And so he completely rejects his home. He goes off to a foreign country and squanders everything. That's, that's, that's a very obvious view of what it looks like to be lost, right? This is what religious people think of lost people. You're ungodly are you don't care about God. You, you reject God. You run away from God and do all those bad stuff that those bad people do, Right but then look at the older brother. He stays at home. He is geographically close to his father, but look at his heart. If you, if you actually read the dialogue in this parable, if you look at the younger brother, what does the younger brother say to the father? There's a fairly short little, little speech he gives. He says, all he says is this father, give me the share of property. That's coming to me. Really disrespectful in this culture. Not very nice. But when you read the older brother's lostness, there is a lot of venom and resentment and anger here. And honestly, like you can see this all the time within families where there there are certain children, there are certain people in relationships uh, who on the outside do all the right things. On the outside, they might be really nice to you and really polite, but on the inside, they're seething they're resentful, they're bubbling. And so, again, I, I always make fun of like junior high and high school girls, but when you when you talk about junior high and high school girl drama, it's, it's pretty nasty where you act a certain way in front of them, but then you turn to your other friends behind their back, you're like talking about them behind their back or whatever it might be, right? And in the same way within a family, there are two strategies to, diso- to to get your parents off your back. You ever think about this? There are two strategies. So I did the, it's funny, me and my sister are a great example of this. I did the younger brother one where I'm like, mom, you can't control me. I'm not going to do my math homework. I'm going to go to my room and play video games. And so I completely, I was like, I'm trying to throw off the yoke of my parents. I'm trying to disobey them. I'm trying to like purposely do bad in school so I can like, Get them off my back or I'm not going to listen to them all the things you care about I'm going to do the opposite and then my sister was like the perfect model student like I could give her her list of accomplishments actually Edwin my brother-in-law came and preached last week right and you saw his list of accomplishments um, he has a PhD, graduated two years early, multiple master's degrees, like really teaches at Berkeley. He's he's amazing, right? My sister, sometimes I think my sister is like smarter than Edwin. I'm not sure actually, it, they're, but they're like, they're, they're a power couple basically, where she has just as long of a list of accomplishments. She has perfect pitch. She always gets A's in every single thing she does. She's an incredible writer, all this stuff, right? And her strategy was basically like, I'm going to do exactly what my parents want so that they don't pay attention to me, or I'm basically checking all the boxes so then they stop bugging me about like doing your math homework, right? I can get my mom off my back if I just get straight A's in calculus, right? There are two different strategies, but both of us honestly have had difficult relationships with our parents where there's something going on underneath the surface where our view of them... Is different than what it should be in like a healthy family, um, and so you see this in the older in the older brother. And I just want to concentrate on the older brother. What is the older brother's view of the father, and what does this say about what's possible for us as churchgoers to have a certain view of God? Um, it is just as possible to be extraordinarily lost and ungodly if you come to church every Sunday is it is very possible to serve in church to lead music it is very possible and this is spooky to preach every sunday and i could just be, i could be just as lost because i think that that god obedience to god is external obedience to god is all that the christian life is about but when you see the response of the father to both of these brothers there are two different brothers two different types of lostness there is one response from the father, and he responds to both of them in a way that is completely different than their view of him. It's completely different. It's incredible. It's really beautiful. You guys, with me? You kind of understand what I'm saying, right? Uh, there, there. They, I sometimes I read surveys of people's perception of the church, right? So there's a survey that came out recently about Gen Z. You know, like all those young Gen Zers, and then there are even like younger people in that. What's their perception of Jesus? And what this survey said actually was uh, the majority of Gen Zers, like maybe 60%, are actually very interested in learning about Jesus, and they're open to what he says. But there's something else. Uh, I think maybe 33—so maybe like a third of them said that the church is hypocritical. Right? So this is really interesting. They're attracted to Jesus— but they think that the church is hypocritical because unlike God, unlike Jesus, the church is controlling, the church is about external obedience, following the rules, but there's no inner life. And they see the superficiality of these people's relationship with God, where when you look at the, what the New Testament says about Christians, there are, okay, there are so many passages in the Bible And this is actually a very challenging thing for me to talk about um, and for us to hear, where the New Testament says that as Christians, as believers, we should have joy unspeakable. Which basically says, when you know what Jesus has done for you and you are a sinner who has been saved by grace, your life should be characterized by joy, by joy in God, by experiencing his love for you, And your emotional life should be transformed. And do you know why people call church people hypocrites? Because sometimes when you go to churches, the very people who would say all the right things and believe that they are the most spiritual and religious are the most miserable, resentful, judgmental people. And I'm not trying to pick on just like church people because there are two types of lostness. But the problem with the older brother is he doesn't even know he's lost, right? He thinks he's doing all the right things, but yet his relationship with his father is alienated. The difference with the younger brother is the younger brother knows he's alienated from his father. He knows where he is with God. And so this is where I actually feel a lot for youth, um, youth kids. And I, I, <laughs> I really appreciate when people are honest and authentic about their relationship with God. I would rather you say to me, um, I am not on speaking terms with God because of this or that than I would, you pretend like you're good with God and you do all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, your attitude is like the elder brother. Look at his heart towards his father. He says, I obeyed you. I did all these right things for you. I worked so hard for you and you never gave me anything, which that's really interesting, right? What is he saying about his relationship with his father? Just like the younger son, I do stuff or I use you to get what I really want. You get what I'm saying? And so when you come to church, there are some people, these are the moralistic, legalistic, religious people. When they obey God, it is not coming out of a place of gratitude and enjoyment of God for himself. It's not coming out of a place of joy. It's coming out of a place just like the younger brother of if you have this perception of God. If I obey God enough and do it perfectly enough, I can get him off my back and do what I want. If I obey God enough, he will give me what I really want. But what I want is not God. It's, you know, he wants to give a young goat. You know, he likes goat. Um, I like cow better. But anyway, I'd rather the fattened calf because it's yummier. Um, he just wants a goat. He's not even asking for much, just a goat, right? How do you identify whether you're the older brother? What is your, this is, okay, this is a complicated question. And another thing I would say is, like, even though I speak generally about a, a tendency within churches to be like, you know, older brothers or whatever, I'm not trying to like, I, like I, I'm not going to like, identify that ken lee you are an older brother and you are so like bitter and resentful you know like i'm not gonna that's that's honestly not my job i'm a pastor but it's not my job and it's not your job to go to someone else and identify them and say like you know you you're all you're such a hypocrite or like you're such an older brother you're lostness you're an older brother lost older brother that's not your job your job is to look at your relationship with god and identify to what degree, and it's a spectrum, to what degree does your inner life with God look like the older brother, where you say, I do everything for you, God, but you want nothing to do with him. You know what I mean? You serve God every week faithfully on the outside, but on the inside, everything you do is begrudging, and over time, as your life progresses, you become increasingly alienated from talking to God, from having a good relationship with him, from having joy in your relationship with him. And this is how people, religious people, the most religious people can actually become the most bitter and resentful because you have the same view of God that the lost people, that the lost younger brothers do, where God is a killjoy. God wants to remove good stuff from your life. His rules are restrictive and they're always like impinging on your fun and your enjoyment of life. But that's not what God is like. God is in this parable, in these three parables, what is God all about? God is all about celebration and joy. Every single parable, there's a party in heaven when sinners come to repentance. Why? Because God loves when people are rescued out of their lostness. To be lost and alienated from God means you are without hope in the world. You see all the things on the news. You, you think about the future. You see the politi- like economic stuff, the recession. You see like environmental catastrophe. You see war, rumors of war, all these things. And you think to yourself, how can I have hope? It makes sense. It makes sense to not be hopeful when you look at the news. But if you're a Christian, it is possible to have hope and to say, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter the circumstances, I know who God is. God is in control, God loves people, God loves lost people, God loves sinners, God loves sinners who run away from church, God loves the sinners in the church, and he he chases after them for the purpose of having a relationship with us as our father. And so this is another thing I would say, your emotional life with God is uh, like, this is a simplification But I think as a pastor, this is really important. Your emotional life with God shows you how much you understand and experience God as your father, the state of your emotional life with God, where if you truly understand him as your father, it changes how you feel. It really does. And if you feel resentful, if you feel bitter and you're the, if you think like I'm the older brother, um, there's really something that you can do to respond to that that changes your emotional relationship with him. And it actually is what the older brother does. He comes out to God and he says what he feels. He actually expresses how he really feels about God. And then what's really amazing to me is how God responds to him. So two lost brothers, two different, or one, basically one response from God. Let's look at the younger brother real quick. And this is the really, I mean, this is the famous one. Like God loves sinners who come to repentance the, the younger brother thinks he has to achieve and perform religiously. He has to obey his father for a period of time and earn back the father's trust before he's welcomed back to, to the father. But the father interrupts his speech and he says, no, I don't want a slave. I don't want another servant. I want my son back so I can have a relationship with him. So you can return back home and I can shower you with affection and approval and love. That's the message God has to lost younger brothers who know that they're lost, who have messed up their lives and are coming back to God because they want, they, they, they realize the lostness of being lost. They, they realize the lostness of being apart from God and doing your own thing, like doing what you want. When you continue to do things your own way, um, over time in your life, this like sometimes sin actually feels really good and it can feel really good for long periods of time. Um, but if you do it long enough, what you'll find is, this is what the parable is saying. You will find yourself with eat, like with the pigs, the things that are not satisfying on the inside. That's all you concern your life with, whether it's like making money or like having like whatever, whatever it might be but then look at how God responds to the older brother. And this is, I, I should apologize for this because sometimes I'm really hard on church people, but do you see the tone of the father when the, the younger brother is resentful and bitter towards uh, towards the father? He doesn't respond in the way you would think. Can you imagine, again, same question. You're the kid, or sorry, if you kids, imagine uh, you are the parent And you talked to your parent, uh, your, your child talked to you like this, like I've done everything you said, but you never gave me anything. And then he says, look at this son of yours. It's so spiteful. It's so resentful. There's so much venom in his tone, but then how does the father respond? This is really cool. The father is celebrating the return of the younger son, they're having a party, they're drinking wine, they're eating great food, they're celebrating. It's a joyful occasion. There's music, there's dancing. And then he looks around and he thinks to himself, wait a second, where's my my older son? He doesn't see him. So what does he do? He goes outside of the party. He leaves the party and looks for that older child. And then he sees him. And, you know, you can, like, you can, when, for a lot of people, you can kind of read their faces, right? So he's just, like, he's seething. You know, his brow is furrowed. He's angry. He's, he's just, like, pacing. You know, you can tell he's really upset. There's something wrong. And so he goes over to him. And then he start the younger son starts lashing out at the father. And at this point, he could say, don't talk to me like that. Do you know all the stuff that I've done for you? But he doesn't. He actually says this. Son, You are always with me. He says, even though you feel this way about me, even though you feel so alienated from me, I have never left you. And I've always wanted this relationship with you. You had a wrong view of me. You thought I was using you as a servant. But what I really wanted was a son. And this is really cool. Like in my relationship with my parents, as things have gone along um you know obviously like my parents have had to change i've had to change as a child but at some point when you're in your adult years your relationship with your parents can become really really sweet where they see you as a peer they treat you like an adult they still don't always treat you like an adult but you can treat them as a peer you have a great relationship like i talk to my dad i ask him for advice and sometimes i disagree with his advice but that's okay Um, But I, I enjoy talking to him and spending time with him, right? And that's what parents want. That's what parents want. And that's what God wants. And so he says, son, you are always with me. And then he says, all that is mine is yours. You don't have to fight to earn God's approval. You don't have to fight to earn his acceptance because God has given it to you through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, because of what Jesus did, you can be reconciled with God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform. If you're a younger brother lost, it doesn't mean going to church and having it all together. Because at church, we don't have it all together either. And many of us are just as lost as you. But what's, what do we have in common? We go to the Father and we say, God, I have nothing. I am so dependent on you to be accepted, to be forgiven. I need your forgiveness just as much as anyone and that makes you humble. That makes you gracious. It be, you become the opposite of someone who's judgmental and resentful and bitter. And your joy comes from knowing that I have been forgiven so much. This is what keeps me, like, I'm sure I slip into being an older brother frequently. But I have a deep sense that I am a sinner. I am, like, I, I should just, like, shout from the rooftop. I am a sinner. I'm a pastor. I'm a sinner. I am desperately in need of God's forgiveness. And when I look at my life, I feel like God has forgiven me so much. And the most important moments in my life are the moments where I have performed the worst religiously. I have not done what I should. I've failed as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a son. I've failed God. I've done, I haven't done the right thing. But then when he responds to me, he responds with compassion. And when I say, God, help me, he, he says, I love you so much. Like, come back. And we become reconciled. And his heart for me, his feelings for me are so different than the way I picture him and feel about him when I sin, when I do the wrong thing. I think he's going to be disappointed. I think he's going to be ashamed of me. But he welcomes me back with open arms. And so in this picture, you need to replace your view of God with this story. Both the younger brother lost people and the older brother lost people. For both of you, when you do what's wrong, when you're resentful and angry, where is God? Where is God? He is going out from the party to look for you. And he's saying, What? Look at the end. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to be celebra- It is fitting to celebrate. What is God saying? If you're serving God and you're miserable, What is God saying? Where is he? He's saying, I love you. And it is good to celebrate lost sinners being found. Come into the party. Stop being miserable. Stop staying outside. Stop being resentful. Stop being angry. Come into the party because it's so good. Edwin preached last week. And there there is the story in the Gospels where it said, those who have been forgiven much love much right when you as a lost older brother understand how despite all of your good things you've done for god are just as alienated from god as someone who does all the wrong things you can't qualify yourself by your good deeds you can't disqualify yourself by your bad deeds we are all lost we are all alienated from god and what we need is the father to come out to us and say you are just as much of a sinner as that person who's like our typical view of like, oh, they're just so like, you know, they're messing, making a mess of their life. The addicts, the people we're ashamed of, the people we don't talk about, you're just as lost as them and you need forgiveness. And so in my life, to be a sinner who's saved by grace, to be forgiven, that is where my joy comes from. And that's ideally what keeps me from becoming like the, the older brother. When I serve God, and I mean, I, again, I can veer into older brother territory where I can become resentful towards God and say, God, I do all this stuff for you. Why don't you reward me? But that's really not my heart. That's really not my heart. My heart is I've been forgiven by God um, and I'm accepted by him and I'm loved by him. And therefore I am part of this celebration. When I turn back to him, there is rejoicing in heaven. There's a party in heaven when I am sinning, And then I say, God, I'm sorry. I know I've done wrong. There is celebration in heaven. God is so overjoyed because I was lost, but then was found. And in the same way, this story ends open-ended. How will the the older brother respond? How will you respond? If you're resentful to God, will you stay on the outside? Will you stay outside of the party where you say, God, I don't need you. I'm just going to keep on doing the external religious rituals and obey you in that way but my heart will continue to be far from you. Are you going to go inside? Are you going to see how God sees you, where he's welcoming you in? So I just want to end with this. If you find that as I'm talking about this stuff, your picture of God is like the younger and the older brother, and if you identify more with the older brother, what do you do in a sense? How can you respond to God? Um, It's a complicated question. (laughs) It's a complicated question, and it kind of depends on your relationship with him. But I would honestly say the first step is prayer, where you have to talk to God. Because many of you, when you do religious stuff, you can be so busy doing religious stuff, or you can be so bitter and begrudging doing religious stuff that you don't talk to God. And you're doing all the externals, but you don't talk to him. You're lost. What do you need to do? You need to say God, say exactly how you feel about God to him. And this is where, again, authenticity is so important in any relationship. When I've said to my parents how I actually feel about them, where I said to my dad, you know, you really hurt me in certain ways. I I had this conversation with him. Um, I felt like you didn't love me as a dad in these ways. And that was, I'm sure, really hard for him to hear. But it was really important that I shared that. And then he was able to say to me, like, I'm sorry, I've failed you as a father in certain ways. And then I could say, you know what? Like, it's okay. Like, let's let's be friends. Like, let's have a good relationship. In the same way, you got to tell God how you're feeling about him. And then you have to start having this conversation where you move yourself from doing the externals to getting real with God. Bible study is way different when you're reading the Bible and then someone's like, I know what this passage says, but I don't trust God. I don't talk to him because I'm not sure he's good. Then it becomes real, right? That's where we're actually at often. But we don't say it because we think you have to perform religiously. You don't reveal your doubts. You don't reveal your anger. But what's interesting is the Bible is not like that. The Bible has many, many, many poems, lament psalms, where the psalmist says, why God? The psalmist says, I'm angry with you, God. And so authenticity is the first step to having this real relationship. You have to talk to God and then you have to let God talk back to you. Where are you actually willing to hear his response as your father? Where he can actually respond in a way that is far more gentle than you think. Where he says, "Look, you are doing those things and you have this view of me because you have this view of me that's incorrect. I'm actually very different than you think I am. I would rather you do nothing for me. I would rather you stop serving in church temporarily while you work out your relationship with me so I can actually have a relationship with you. You know what I'm saying? If you're a parent and your kid is ostracized from you, do, when they come home for Thanksgiving, do you say, okay, I need you to wash the dishes, I need you to do the laundry, I need to sweep the floors and swiffer the floors. No, you're like, I don't, you don't have to do those chores. I don't care about that as much as I care about reconciling with you. And then once we have a good relationship, then you can contribute in the same way. Will you stay outside the party or will you come in? Because God is a God of celebration and joy. And I need to hear this. Like, I need to hear this all the time. I need to hear these parables where when I turn back to God, God is rejoicing. He is delighted in me. And I need to let this truth from God's word transform my image of God, where, honestly, some of the most special moments in my life, again, when this story comes to mind and I picture the, the father running out to the sinful younger brother, embracing him, kissing him, delighting in him. When I sin, when I fail, that is how God views me. It's not the way that I expect him to. Do you, do you actually feel that? Have you experienced God's love for you? Um, let me end with an example of someone who was a religious superstar, but never really understood God's delight in them. Um, there are actually two of them one is Martin Luther, one is John Wesley. We'll talk about John Wesley. So, John Wesley uh, was a Minister in the, 1800, or sorry, in the 18th century, and he had a long list of accomplishments. So he was an um, Oxford-educated fellow, so kind of like a teacher, like a professor. He was ordained in the Anglican Church. He was a missionary to a foreign country. He went to the Americas, and he was like missionary to people in Georgia, like, like Native Americans and stuff like that. Um, he started a club called the Holy Club, where him and his other Oxford people uh, devoted their lives to seriously pursuing God and being devout. Okay? So these are like very morally serious people where they're like, we're going to fast every day. We're going to wake up at four in the morning to do prayer meetings. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to live a really good, super duper good Christian life. He did all of these things. And yet he had this experience in 1738. This was 10 years after he had been ordained as a minister, where he was reading through um, Martin Luther's like uh, commentary on the book of Romans. And basically he began to understand the gospel and God's feelings about him, where God accepted him based on what Christ did on the cross. And there's this amazing quote. I mean, actually I'm not gonna, I don't have the exact quote, but what happened was, I I thought I brought a book that had it, but I didn't. what, what uh, John Wesley said was, as I understood the justification by faith, free grace, uh, my heart was strangely warmed, and for the first time, I experienced the truth that I was accepted and forgiven of all my sins. The, for the first time, I experienced the truth. Isn't that really crazy? You can do all of that stuff for God. And yet you're still the older brother. You've never experienced it. You've never truly understood it. And so, but there's hope for you. All I'm saying is if you're in this religious state where you do church stuff and it's kind of like blah, you know, it's because you don't really know the heart of God. Or there's something, some kind of obstacle that's blocking you from understanding and experience, experiencing the way God feels about you. The way you think God feels about you is different than how he actually feels about you. And as a loving father, he wants to convince you that he's different. And he actually goes outside the party to reach to you and say, Come inside, come inside where there is forgiveness of sins for lost brothers like you. Will you join the celebration? Mission of our church? Bro, uh, dis, uh, to make disciples who have had their lives changed by Jesus Christ and send them out. Once you understand the heart of God for you, it transforms your purpose in life where you say, "I look, I'm just a sinner. I'm no better than you. But I want you to come with me to this amazing party where there's joy and celebration and forgiveness. And that's the heart of the God for all of us. When you understand that, you start to want to do that too. It's not out of resentment. It's not out of obligation. It is a free choice out of gratitude and joy in God and the Holy Spirit. These are the Parables. Parables have a force on the audience communicate a spiritual truth using stories and word pictures. These parables are incisive. They reveal our hearts. They convict religious people as well as irreligious. Do you know the truth of the parables? Do you know the way God has revealed himself to us? He's different than you think. If you've been raised in church, if you go to a Christian school it doesn't mean you understand who God is. If you know all the right answers about God, it doesn't mean you have felt and deeply experienced a relationship with God as your father who loves you. Will you join the celebration? He did this all um, through Jesus Christ on the cross. And his redemptive plan was to say, I'm going to demonstrate my love to you by coming into this world and dying on a cross so that you could be reconciled with me. The religious people need Jesus. The irreligious people need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We all need this good father um, to give us joy and forgiveness in our lives. Um, Will you turn to him? Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray that our church, (laughs) our hearts, we would be known for our joy in being forgiven. Um, I pray we would be known for how we share openly our sinfulness and our lostness, but we share the joy of knowing and feeling that we're forgiven, that you respond to us with open arms because of Jesus, and you delight in us. You love us so much. I pray for lost younger brother people that they would come to you and turn to you for help, and they would experience your forgiveness that is so amazing and incredible and freeing. For older brothers, I pray, Lord, that you would create in them A clean heart, a heart that is full of joy and thankfulness, a heart that wants to reach out to share with sinners um, the good news of your gospel and your forgiveness. Um, We need you, Lord. I pray you would become experientially real to us, that our emotions would fit with who you really are and the way you feel about us. Um, Only you can do this by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.